Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Coaches, before we get going today, I just wanted to thank you for all you've been doing to support this podcast, and we have an incredible lineup coming up here. We have just about every major college conference represented. We have a ton of FBS coaches, Division II coaches, Division Three coaches, some great high school football coaches coming on the podcast to share with you and help you grow professionally during this time. I really appreciate all of you asking your questions on Twitter. Please follow me at Coach K Grabowski for our daily updates on our guests and your opportunity to ask questions. We will read them on the show and attribute those to you. So please contribute to the show as much as you can. On today's podcast, we're going to look at a different approach to putting together a defensive system, one that our defensive coordinator has done now for some time and been successful with at the University of St. Francis. And that's Coach Joey Didier. Coach, great to have you back here on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I always enjoy my time talking to you guys. Yeah, it's, it's been a while, Coach. We said the, the first time we had you on was after you guys won a, a national championship. I believe we would have talked after the 2016 season, first year of the podcast. And for our listeners, we'll link back to that one uh, where Coach Didier talked to us about his background and the things he's learned along the way, a little bit about his philosophy so be sure to go back and listen to that one if you haven't yet, because Coach does an excellent job. But the focus today, you know, we have a lot of different ways to go about things. And, you know, we have our systems, right? And, and there's, I think, some people who look at their system and are able to recruit to their system. But there's a lot of us who live in that world, even, you know, at the college level, thinking back on that, that there's going to be a lot of variability in skill sets from year to year. And you kind of have to fine tune what you're going to do. You kind of take the the approach that you're player led in the way you put together your schematics. Yeah. I mean, we're very player led, which is unique because, you know, we work for a head coach who's been in the business for a long time. You know, Kevin Donnelly, he's up there top 10 all time winning as coaches. He's 333 wins. He's been doing this since the late seventies. And you would think just from a, stereotypical standpoint that coach would be one of those guys that's like set in his ways that like, this is how we do things. You know, this is our defensive system. This is our offensive system. And it is the exact opposite. The big thing that he always tells us is don't be afraid to change, be afraid of not changing and how our game is just all encompassing and always changing. You know, the last time we talked, we were in between the 2016 17 seasons. So we just won a national championship in 2016 and we were a 4-2-5 defense, a lot of split field principles. And uh, one of the things we do every offseason is multiple times we sit down with our head coach and we rank our defensive players and we come up with our top 22. Top 22, not necessarily just by position, but you know, 
who are our top 22 guys. And then we're going to find the defensive system that best suits them. So in between the 2016 and 17 season, that off season, we moved from a four, two, five to a stand up three, four system. We had two outside linebackers that were just phenomenal athletes that we would not be doing right by our people to, you know, stick in that defensive scheme uh, for, you know, that season, it wouldn't be the best 11 on the field. So we took a huge chance in 2017 switching schemes and we went ahead and won the whole thing again. Um, was that the sole reason that we won the whole thing again? I mean, no, there's, there's tons of factors to it, but just the um, ability for us as coaches to see players skill sets players strengths and put them in the best position to be successful is our main job as coaches yeah i'm really interested in how you do these things because i think there's a lot to learn in in the way you do it so let's start with the identification of of those you know top 25 players as you've mentioned what's that process what are maybe some tools you use to evaluate to start to give you this picture of of who you guys are going to be in this next season yeah so we started without specific criteria in mind so that we can force some conversation between the staff but us as a defensive staff we will sit there pen and paper with personnel chart next to us and we will personally rank our top 25 guys then we'll get on the board. We'll number rank them, you know, just using the, you know, the, the golf, the, the low number is the, you know, the highest and the, the high numbers, you know, the lowest. And, and we'll start to tally out and we'll end up getting to some points where we'll end up having a lot of talking discussion about why a guy is ranked as such. And you really get a feel, you know, as a coordinator for the types of things that your staff is looking at. You've got some guys who are going to look at, you know, the size and stature of a kid. You've got somebody that's going to look at, well, this guy is very fundamentally sound. This guy does everything we ask him to do. Uh, this guy's never a problem, you know, uh, and it, there really are awesome conversations because, you lock yourself in a room and when you walk out, you know, everybody is in agreement of this is the direction that we're going to go. And the big tipping points when we're ranking them are usually the guys that fall into that like 10 to 14 range. So who are your fringe starters? And as we talk a little bit more on this podcast, like what that's led to a lot has been sub packages and making sure that we're utilizing something in a starting role for the top 15 and that's really where the teaching starts to progress, because as opposed to starting from scratch with a whole new scheme, we just basically make the sub package, the main package and kind of rotate our packages accordingly. So but it all starts with these conversations, you know, as a staff and we'll do so three times throughout a year. We'll do one immediately after the season ends because it's all fresh in coaches heads. They've got the film right there. Then we'll do this right at the beginning of spring practice because we want to evaluate how guys have done in winter conditioning. And then we'll do the same thing again right before preseason camp so that we can make sure that we've got our personnel aligned that best suits our team. Yeah, that was you kind of answered my follow-up question, which was that's at a static point in time at the end of the season. And the requirement might be how do these guys develop? But you're looking at then, okay, this is where this guy – 
developed himself this offseason. We've seen him in our strength program, our our speed program. He's really stepped it up in these areas. And so now he may factor in differently as you guys look at this again at the beginning of spring ball or before spring ball. And then, of course, some of the performance of spring ball being able to see, you know, did this pan out? Did this guy who we saw really develop uh, translate all that maybe speed and, and strength that he's added to himself, translate that onto the field? Oh, absolutely. And really for us throughout the history of doing this, the biggest jump has been after that freshman season because recruiting in small college football and we are blessed with great support from a university. We've got great tradition. We also know that our place in recruiting, you know, like we are not, you know, in a list of DBs against Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, you know, like we're picking guys that fit our university and trying to maximize their potential, help them fill their bucket. So you have to take some chances on guys. Like, why is this kid not a Division One athlete? Is he too small? Is he too slow? Is he too stiff in the hips? All of the measurables that end up knocking someone to the, you know, FCS D2, high NAI level. So we will take athletes and take the best player as opposed to pigeonholing a guy to a position. So honestly, I'd say over half of the freshmen that come in before they suit up in the fall have moved positions defensively. And they're just simple moves, things like moving from field corner to boundary corner, moving from, you know, our free safety, which is more of our our field safety to our boundary support safety, or moving from safety to backer or, you know, um, backer to end, end to inside, trying to get more speed on the field. But as long as we're bringing athletes into our program, and that they understand that there's going to be a development to it and it's going to be ever-changing. It's been great. I mean, in the 16-17 season, we had an All-American linebacker by the name of Eric Dutton who came to us in high school as a safety who was a wrestler. Kid wrestled 171 in high school and was always on a weight cap. He ends up graduating as a 230-pound inside linebacker and an All-American. But, you know, he wasn't ready to play linebacker at 170 pounds. You know, so a lot of those things do happen because of the nature of recruiting. Absolutely. So moving this then to the schematic side of things. And, again, looking at skill sets, but also then looking at a couple other things here. The structure within which you, you do this as well as the skill sets of your coaches, right? What, what, they, what they know best, right? And balancing all of those things. So I'm going to make an assumption here that, you know, you're, you're 4 two, five after 16, you made that move, that this wasn't, guys, here's our new system, that it was finding a way to evolve that terminology and that structure into what you needed to be next. So that essentially you weren't making everybody in the system a freshman and, hey, we're going to learn something new now. Absolutely. So let's use that specific transition as an example. So that in 16, we were more of a overfront move to strength because we had hand in the dirt guys at defensive end. So with that, we were able to split the field a little bit more in coverage. So then moving to a three, four, we ended up playing more under front principles. So we could take our boundary end and do a lot of the same things that we were doing in our 425 previously, but now standing him up. And those were things that we had done previously in 16 when that particular player was playing some third down 
sub-package stuff for us, kind of like OK34 principles. So you're absolutely right. You're, you're not reinventing the wheel. You're just making some small tweaks to things. Little things as well, too, about like, let's talk about the back end. You're going to be in families of coverages. So we're either matching or, or pattern reading. You're either playing man or you really, or you're playing zone. All coverages just fall down to those three families. So then we assess the skill sets of the secondary, and we're going to be calling more coverages and the family in which our guys can execute. This past year and the year previous, we probably played more man because we had more man guys in our room. And it's up to us as coaches to teach things in terms of families or a system or something that's consistent for a kid that is not so strict and so minute that it cannot be flexible. We had some speed bumps with this because if you make changes, it's adding a call and then adding a call and adding a call. So when we were too descriptive in our initial installation of things, then you end up adding a front and adding a coverage and adding a blitz. And before you get to it, it's October and you've got you know, half a dozen, you know, different blitz combinations and a dozen coverages and it gets to be too much. So you've got to keep it simple and keep it broad based initially in installation. And it all seems to work very well together. So that process, I guess, of reining it in right from the menu you're going to start with to week to week. You don't want to overburden your players, especially on defense. We know you guys want to play fast. You as as the coordinator, right? You're the guy. Coordinate means to bring together. So you got to bring all this together. You get all kinds of great ideas. You're looking at all this. How do you sculpt this into something that, all right, here's what we legitimately can practice? Yeah, so you've got to trust your staff. And when you move into being a coordinator, you become more of a decision maker and less of a suggester. But if you listen to the other guys on staff and what they are suggesting, they're all valid points because they come from different perspectives. Specifically speaking, um, our corners coach, phenomenal coach. He's a guy that, that grew up in a man system. So he's always wanting to push more man concept coverages. And in the beginning of our relationship together on staff, it, it was there was a little friction there because man is not something that I am as big of a fan throughout the years of running. But I started to dive into his world and see the things from a corner's perspective as to why it was best suited for our system to play more man. So you have to, to pick and choose what you feel is best for the players. You have to trust your staff. You have to, to listen to your staff. But the biggest thing you've got to do is when a decision is made whether that is a recommendation that I made or a defensive line coach made or our linebacker coach made. When we walk out of the room, it's a unified front and it is a decision that we have collectively made as a program and as a defense. Because if you don't have that type of trust and camaraderie with the staff, then you start to compartmentalize. And then you can have the finger pointing and things that you don't want to have in any facet of you know, any part of your life, you know, whether that's in the, the business world or the, the football land. As you've looked at how this has evolved for you and you look at the different things you can do, I'm sure you start to have those players who fit into 
you know, what's become popular, the, the quote unquote positionless defense, right? So guys who may be dropping in coverage on one play, maybe blitzing on another, you know, might be playing level two on a third, you know, maybe a, a third scenario here. How do you make sure that those types of guys get practice within those different skill sets? Yeah, so you have to be really creative about when you are doing individual and when you are doing group. So I feel like the positionless defense is creative ways in which coaches are now attacking gray areas. And let's just use like the field overhang for, for example, you know, you have a trip set and you have a decision to make. Do you want to float a linebacker out so a line, an inside linebacker can play like an outside linebacker and play over three? Do you want to rock a safety down and utilize a safety like a strong safety? Do you want to flip corners and get somebody into that bubble? They're into that gray area. So all of it becomes situational-based and group-based. And those are things that you have to be very creative and very specific about how you handle your scripts in these group sessions, in your perimeter sessions, in your group review sessions, where you have an opportunity for a linebacker, a safety, and a corner to work together, or specifically a linebacker and an end or an end and a tackle to, to work together. Because it's not something that really with positionless defense, as you call it, is something that can be handled a ton in an individual meeting. We have an outside linebackers coach who's a, a phenomenal coach who's coached specifically in, he grew up in that like 4-4 overhanging outside backer scheme. So I will give him our strong safety types, our inside backer types, and then he's doing a lot of the two-to-one reads, the zone drop collisions, you know, denying the vertical release number two or number three, because that's what he is very good at. Where there's times, too, where we will circuit train our defense from a skill standpoint. And, you know, you have your, your guy with, with, who's teaching man coverage skills to everybody, whether that is a linebacker who has to man a back and end who has to appeal with a back, a safety that's got to play man or a corner that's already got to play man. And then, you know, me, for example, teaching more of the broad-based zone concepts that you're going to see with linebacker zone drops, safety eyes, those types of things. So it's the coordination of your group work and how you can kind of circuit through a practice that will make you much more effective for the, the minimal amount of time that you really do have to focus on ball. Right. Yeah, I love that approach. It's the coaches become, in a way, positionless as as well right they're they're not just stuck to one group of guys there's going to be carryover which I'm sure is is good in a lot of ways to again just build that chemistry right instead of everybody being siloed and I only coach this position that crossover I think really lends to having some great chemistry between the coaching staff and the players I agree and it helps coaches grow as well because coaches will be able to work with all of the players on defense or 90% of the players on defense, you know, and, and that coach can become the expert in that area and be able to provide their insight, provide their knowledge. And then not every coach is on the sidelines for, you know, ball game on Saturday. So, you know, you may have a guy who your, your corners guys up top, you know, maybe your D line guys up top, they don't have the opportunity to get that face to face interaction with their coach and the heat of battle 
on Saturday, but they've developed trust with the other position coaches that may be working down on the field. And you can navigate things there because all of this begins and ends with developing trust and building that bridge with your players and your coaches and your staff. And the, the only way that, that that can be done is just through uh, experiences and working together. So coach, I know the other day, shifting gears a little bit, you had the opportunity to sit down with some coaches from around the country in, in the virtual summit and hear about what was on their mind and what they were looking to defend. And I'm always interested in, in trends and certainly over the, 2019 season and you know whether it was in different parts of the country or in different leagues I mean you started to see some trends develop that even would catch on across the country is there anything from that standpoint that offenses are trying to do in general that you know came up and and coaches are interested in how do you defend those things yeah and that was an awesome session I, I really enjoyed the interaction with everybody and what I've noticed is that offenses now are doing a much better job of attacking coverage and gaining an isolation where they want it. Specifically, we talked a lot about how to handle skinny posts to snag to dig because us being a quarters-based team, there's a lot of times that an offense can manipulate your read with a delayed read from number two, with a gray area release that may break in that five to seven yard threshold. So is it manned, is it zoned, is it switched? And all of those things freeze a corner to then be pressed vertically and then to have to carry a skinny post or a snag from less than ideal leverage. So we, we talked a lot about working with a corner, a safety, a backer, their eyes at what point is that route declared and what complementary coverages can you give from that same look because since offenses are so good now at attacking coverage like what variation can you give an offensive coordinator where you have the same shell you have the same depth you have the same leverage but we don't know if it's cover four if it's a variation of three if you're playing six or splitting the field so that so the more you can do from the same alignment but, you know, offenses are always going to evolve, always going to adjust. But that was the biggest thing was just attacking coverage on the back end. Yeah. Were there any things that you've looked at this past season, whether that people were doing to those things to you or not, that you found pretty innovative on the offensive side that you think defenses in general might need to account for here in 2020? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is like the, the drag through game where, and I think maybe it's moved from the NFL to the college game where your, your mesh concepts with stops and follows where now offenses are so good when those players are dragging to be able to read under coverage and be able to stop those drags and sit in the zones or to carry those drags across the field to overhanging outside backers to safety. So it's it's really going to stress defenses to clearly identify in all of their coverages who eventually becomes flat curl and deep responsible, whether you are playing match or whether you're playing any variation of zone. But just even some of the things that are watched in, in the national championship game with some, you know, you have 
you've got a kind of a mesh concept with twos meshing and then guys stopping and then working opposite sides of the field, trailing each other. And a lot of the tags were worked off of a drag concept, which are putting defenses in position where they have to defend an athlete in space. Yeah. What do you feel schematically gives you the best opportunity or I guess maybe it's even a little bit of technique as well. I'm sure it is to stop those kinds of things. It's a variation of match and zone, you know, zone concepts. I don't know if it's broad based, but you know, uh, your zones have to be complementary zones. I mean, you can't play zone and your corner is always responsible for backside flat. You have to give some variation as to when you are going to roll in which direction do you want to roll when we roll who is going to be flat responsible when we roll where are eyes in terms of the rpo game you know is that rolled safety or is that you know squatted corner is he going to become a force fitting player so to to pick and choose like three complementary things. So I'm I'm looking a lot at like the the complementary areas of like a cover four, a cover six, and different variations of a cover three. And when can I pull the trigger in some of those, you know, cover six variations and cover three variations to attack one of the weaknesses and you know in our cover four, which is that, you know, gray areaed curl working on backers. Coach, as, as I've looked at that, the meshes, the shallows, the drags, that certainly was a big part of, of offenses in 2019, to the point where, seen by the end of the year, everybody had that as a major part in their offense. The other thing that I saw that I think can be problematic, I think is a good strategy schematically for an offense, is the receivers releasing into position basically to block right sometimes on the very edge of how legal is it but also even you know we had a really good summit I watched with Josh Herring he's, he's in uh, Georgia a high school coach just going through their shallow screen where the the offensive line is is pass protecting and they're running this guy right behind the line of scrimmage with receivers basically getting on the stem of the routes and then blocking so now just a ton of space opened up between, you know, that defensive line who is not tracking at all on a screen because no key took them that way. And then, you know, linebackers secondary getting into their, their pass drops, whether that's man or zone, and just having all kinds of space to run with the football. Or, like I said, kind of the shallow coming across where guys are kind of releasing into a route, but you know they're not getting the ball. They're, they're kind of waiting to time up a block there. Thoughts on defending those kinds of things? Because I think it's I think it's very tough for a defense to diagnose. Oh, it, it's very tough. And, you know, we saw in the playoffs, what, four out of the past five years, Morningside College, and I know you've had Coach Luters on, who's now over at Central Missouri at the OC, and they would do a lot of those similar things to us. And, you know, how to read the demeanor of the receiver and be able to pinpoint as quickly as possible if we are playing man, if we are if we are now zoning or switching is key. But if you are constantly 
in the same family. Like let's use like cover four, for example, we're constantly in a cover four concept. So we know we have all eyes on two or we have eyes across the field to three and that read starts to get muddied or they start to kind of stalk and, and slant because, you know, you're going to be very passive. You have to find a way to incorporate less pattern red coverages. And I, and I think you're going to see an evolution working back into more old school zones into areas that are then going to result in more carrying responsibility. You know, whether that be like a three rotation and then your rotated safety now is going to have a specific read that he'll see whether he becomes a carry player or a rob player. I think that you're going to see football move into more of a you know, zone concept, because it's very easy, like when you are up on the board and you're facing a concept, just like you talked about with that, you know, stocked, just we'll call it gray area release. You can always just say, well, hey, let's just man it, right? Because then you saw that big evolution in, in defensive football just these past few years with cover one. It's like everybody's getting into cover one now because you can keep somebody on top and you can get in people's faces and you just know I've got my man, I've got my man, that that type of deal. But then now you're going to navigate the world of man beaters. So as you navigate the world of man beaters, it's going to put you into more zone concepts. So I think over the next year or two, the defenses are going to, to start to become much more zone and fire zone oriented, kind of like things were in the late 80s, early 90s. I, I could see that happening. I mean, it's all who gets the chalk last. Like one of the things as we started to see those shallow screens or those, you know, t- Notre Dame did a nice one with kind of a Texas route, an angle route that was caught behind the line. And, you know, guys looked like they were releasing on, on vertical seams and all of a sudden they're blocking those linebackers who are matching them. I could see it didn't happen yet, or at least I haven't seen one, but I could see then kind of the fake shallow screen with somebody working his way into you know, avoid left by somebody trying to, to essentially come off what they think is a block now. And now the ball, because no one's releasing, the ball's still thrown downfield. So I don't know, right? It's uh, it's just that constant. I think you're right, you know, as you mentioned, like you got to have a few tools in your toolbox. Otherwise, you know, the offense, as you said, is really good at figuring out, hey, these guys are just sitting in this coverage here and we're going to pick them apart with this tool in our toolbox. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think a lot a lot of that comes from the discussions and how you prep throughout a, a game week and how does that correlate with the toolboxes that you want to carry. So we're going to spend a lot of this time of the year, in addition to working with our personnel, the working with our defense on the specific toolboxes, like us as a staff, what do we want to carry against 11? What do we want to carry against 12, 20, 21, those types of things. So once those things are ingrained into our system, we can spend game week studying a little bit more play caller tendencies to be able to see like, what is his teddy bear? Like what is the D and D that's going to get him to be a little more vertical pass driven that is going to push him to be a little more run driven to play action driven. What is the vertical field position that is going to change what they're trying to do? So a lot of that just, it, it comes off of feel. It comes off of consistency of being in, you know, the same league. And, you know, going up against a similar staffs over the past few years, you start to 
can't really quantify it. You just, you just get that gut feeling when you're calling plays that you need to get into, you know, a, a fire zone, for example, or get into a man pressure because something different that you haven't done in a little while. And it's, it's really trusting your gut. And if you have a system that is too complex where you have to think too much throughout a game, you can never trust your gut because you cerebrally don't even get to that point because you are so driven on the measurables. It's, you know, second seven from the minus 37 yard line. It's on the left hash. There are 11 personnel. We may get this, we may get that, you know, and then you just end up with so many different things in your head that you end up just getting into a base call. And then the offense has you by the short hairs. So uh, the more that you can simplify your scheme, the more you as a coordinator and a play caller are able to hear your gut, because if not, you're just scrambling. Well, Coach, I appreciate you taking the time. I know we all have a little bit of extra time as there's no commutes anymore and there's not a lot of the face-to-face stuff we're doing. But thanks for taking time here on the podcast, as always. And for our coaches out there who are listening, uh, share your, your recruiting information, the areas you recruit, and as well as how they could contact you. Yeah, so uh, my Twitter handle is Coach Joey Didier. Email is jdidier at sf.edu. I also co as a recruiting coordinator, and we recruit the entire state of Indiana, Southern Michigan, Central Ohio, over to the Indiana border. And uh, well, we're looking for great kids that want to work hard. And like you know, we say in our program, to fill your bucket. You know, we're going to help guys maximize their potential and maximize their ability. So send me a a DM on Twitter, send me an email, love to uh, evaluate your kid's film. We've got a lot of time to do it right now. So quarantine may really help the class of 2021 and and get more eyeballs in front of coaches. So thank you for sending that stuff our way. Absolutely. And coach, again, thank you for your time and best of luck to you guys in 2020. Hey, thank you. Always enjoy being on. Again, for listening to the Coach and Coordinator podcast, check out all we're doing at coachandcoordinator.com and follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.